Okay, it says I'm on, now I'm on. Okay, tell, tell somebody. So, probably nobody could hear me. So this is your opportunity to respond. The Lord did something in worship, spoke to you something specifically that you feel like would be a blessing to this congregation, to the people here. I want you to have as much freedom to share as I do. I'll give a few more minutes. Again, like I said, my wife does. So I guess um, I know sometimes when you feel the spirit move, it's just, it's wonderful. And it, it feels like you can just stay in that place and let everyone be themselves. But um, I know that there's times for me where I haven't felt that that spirit. And I haven't, I it's been a struggle to press through. And... Um, I remember in um, Bible school, we one of the um, subjects we had was Psalms, and just looking about the life of David and recognizing of all the Psalms that he wrote, so many of them were Psalms. We read them, but they were Psalms, and how there were times in his life, very low times, very difficult times, when he he could have said, "I don't feel God's presence," and Yet, he he just decided, you know what, this is my sacrifice of praise. I'm just going to continue. I'm going to worship you, and I'm going to think about what is true and what is right. And um, sometimes during those times when you don't feel that stirring and that presence from the Lord, but you're just <clears throat> continuing to take step after step after step, those can be the most beautiful times. And so, um, yeah, I just want to encourage people with that, that it's great when we come together and we can feel his presence. But um Worship is um, so beautiful when it's something that is given from a heart that feels like it's 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 not in that joyful place, but it's just walking out those steps anyway in trust. You know, sometimes it's uh, difficult to take that step, to stand up, take that step and say, yeah, I want to share this. Uh, sometimes that's difficult for us. And thank God that we have a place here. Uh, we have the liberty to stand up in the name of the Lord and um, and uh, share. That's right. And so that's right. if there's anybody this morning here that would like to, that maybe is not sure, um, just let the Lord lead, you know, uh, the pastor, you know, wants us to open up and to share. And uh, and that's what this time is for. So I encourage anybody, if there's anybody else that uh, would like to stand and, and to share. Give thanks. I know we create those those awkward silent moments, but they're they're important because at that moment, many of you are thinking, "I have something on my heart, and I'm not sure if I want to share it, or I'm not sure if I should," and um, that's the reason for it. And so I just want the Lord to do what He wants to do. And maybe somebody has something that they feel on their heart <clears throat> to share before we go forward in the message. 
we'll tailor what God has to say here for what he's doing in congregation. So I'm particularly touched by what the Lord does in, in a time of worship like that. The Lord has done an amazing thing in my heart too. Anybody want to share before I take this time? There is a reason for the silence. <laughs> I'll do it. Okay, well, during that whole worship, it was just I, a sense of peace. Yes. A sense of peace that the Lord gives us. Um, and a, rem a reminder to trust him in all that he has for us here. We can't forget that. We don't want to have any kind of fear. We don't need fear. We have peace. And listening to the music, the word, we should all just be so joyful and peaceful right now that no matter what happens yes. in this world, Amen. he's always with us. Amen. And he will protect us. Yes. And keep us safe. Because that was his promise. Amen. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for sharing. He's promised to he's promised to be there. I love the He's, he has us in his hands. He has us there. And we've seen him move the mountains, and we're going to see him move some more mountains. Yes, amen. And, you know, I don't know what people are going through right now. I don't know. But I can say that there's one thing that seems to be predominant. People are hungry for the Lord. We want God. We want his presence. That's not just for you guys. That's for me, too. Uh, I'm not asking to get up here and be a professional. I'm just asking to be able... Lord, that you would let me be real. Yeah. And let the reality of what you've put in my heart come out. And because that's real with me, I know it's real with you. Those times when who knows what happened in your week, who knows what happened this week, and maybe you had a time with God that just was a monumental moment for you. And you can't get away from it. Your week still is talking. You're still thinking about it. It's still being in your heart and mind. And so when we come to a place and we get to worship like this, oftentimes the Lord brings that back up. And there's things that are just so precious to you. Now, I know there's things personal. And there's things for us. And at this time, there's, there's not enough encouragement that we can have. That God's got us in His hands. He's taking care of the, the scenarios and situations in life behind the scenes. And I know some people are going through some really difficult times. Sometimes so hard that we don't have an answer. You know, I don't have, I don't have a specific answer for you. I can't take you to a specific scripture and tell you what to do with that. But I do know something about the way the Holy Spirit comforts, and there's a way that He comforts us in our time of tri trial and tribulation and hardship. So thank God for that. Is there anybody else? Just for a moment here. Beverly would like to share. All the way over here in the corner, brother. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> so, um, I am more comfortable at home watching church. And me and Emily play and sing a lot at home. And I get a lot of joy out of that. But sometimes God puts us in an uncomfortable situation and we just have to yield to him mm. and give him control That's right. because um, 
sometimes we're not meant to just stay in our home. We're, we're mm. meant to gather and we're meant mm. to win souls for Christ. Mm. So I'm thankful to the Lord for that. That's a good word for us. We're not meant to stay in our homes. God wants us to do more. I love it when it comes from you guys. <laughs> Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. It's time to get out of that. Excuse me. It's time to get out of that comfort zone and uh, and take those steps unto the Lord. And that's where the miracles really start happening. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Let's take a few minutes and turn to our Bibles. John chapter 11. My desire here in this church is that, at least as God continues to put it in my heart, is that we won't be a spectator church. Uh, we're going to be participating church. So I give you that opportunity. And I know that the Lord wants you to be able to take that opportunity. Some wonderful testimonies today. Amazing things that the Lord is doing. Um, I want to encourage you to continue to expect God to do more. I want to encourage you to look beyond just the norm and the formula of things and really trust God to do more in our lives. So look at in John chapter 11. I want to say just before I start here, this is that this is called the truth that never changes. This message covers what I call the essential truth, but it certainly doesn't cover every aspect of faith and should not be viewed or treated as such. So in some cases, what I'm going to say isn't necessarily um, the whole of what we talk about faith. But John chapter 11 covers the story of Lazarus and when Lazarus was sick and when Lazarus died. And, and it covers the Jesus actually raising him up from the dead. And there's a truth here that I feel like the Lord personally has um, spoke to me about, has been prodding in my heart, and I feel like it's essential Christianity. And some will probably look at it as this seems like um, we're, we're dealing with semantics. The truth is we're not, not in this area. So I want to cover and just read the story, at least in part here, of what has happening, just to give you guys context on what we're talking about. In John chapter 11, now a certain man was sick named Lazarus of Bethany in the town of Mary and her sister Martha. And it was said, it was that Mary, it was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. And therefore his sisters sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. And Jesus heard that. He said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. I'm going to come back to that verse. It's going to be the main part of our text here. Now Jesus loved Martha and, his, and her sister and Lazarus. And when he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, he stayed there uh, two days in the same place where he was. Then after that, he said to his disciples, Let us go to Judea again. And his disciples said unto him, Master, the Jews of late sought to stone you, and you're going to go there again? And Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in a day? And if any man walk in the day, 
he stumbles not because he sees the light of the world. But if a man walk in the night, he stumbles because there is no light in him. These things said he, and after that he said unto them, Our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may awake him out of sleep. Then said his disciples, Lord, if he sleep, he shall do well. Howbeit Jesus spoke of his death, because they thought that he had spoken of taking rest in sleep. Then said Jesus unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there to the intent that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go unto him. I'm going to skip a few verses here, and I'm going to go to when Jesus gets there. He, he meets with Martha, and we're going to start at verse 21. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother had not died. There's much more to the story. I hope to get a little bit further in it, but I want to focus here on the grief that Martha was feeling. And I don't know if this was an accusation or if it was a statement of faith within the grief, but certainly there was grief. And I, I think that we can't hide the gospel from the fact that there's grief. There's a lot of grief, tremendous grief. And um, what Jesus was about to do wasn't just to sympathize with what was happening. I'm more than sure because we see here that in certain portions of Scripture, Jesus wept. And he groaned within himself. And we don't know exactly what the details were. What was it that caused him to do that specifically? Some had said that it was because of his love for Lazarus. I want to highlight that, that Jesus loved Lazarus. He loved him. And so Jesus, despite the fact that he loved him, he still waited two days. And I'm probably pretty sure that they knew that this was a serious sickness. And so when he got word, it doesn't seem like human compassion here. That there was compassion, essentially it doesn't look like that. And I'm sure that Jesus had compassion, but there was something else that was holding him back. There was something else that was holding him back. There's times in our life where we begin to wonder, Lord, what is it that's holding you back? Why is it that I'm praying so earnestly? Why is it that this seems so important to me and it feels like the way things are going that it wasn't as important to you or that you don't understand how serious or how paramount this is in my life? And what do I do with this? And I hope that for us that we will have the same sense that there's a reason why the Lord has held back and it's not because He doesn't love us. As a matter of fact, when it's all played out, we're going to see that the love is far greater than we had ever imagined. You know, on a human level, we've had experience with the love of God. We've known what the Lord has done in many ways. But this is different. This is different. And uh, as we begin to pray for people, we might pray under this headline, Lord, how come it is that I just feel like I'm praying and this isn't happening? Again, here, when Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, verse 4, but for the glory of God that the Son of God might be glorified. 
And we may not be thinking about it, but Jesus was contrasting something. And I think that beginning from the day that man was created to this very day right now, that he was contrasting something called humanism. Humanism. And the reason I make this important is because when we talk about humanism, the way that I want to define it today is humanism is, in definition, that the end of all being is the happiness of man. You know the Lord cares. He loves for us. He loves us so much so that the Bible says that He gave His only begotten Son. So this message that I'm talking about, please don't redefine what I'm saying as if the Lord doesn't care for humanity. But His goal, the focus that the Lord has is not a human-based focus. It's not a man-based or a man-centered focus. Of course, salvation is for us. But Christianity, compared to humanism, is for the glory of God. Jesus looked at the sickness and he saw the, he saw the tragedy. He saw the struggle. He saw the difficulty that he was facing. He saw what was oftentimes the blemish in the human mind is, is that God doesn't care or that the Lord, and you hear it in the words of Mary, Lord, if you had been here, my brother had not died. We know that you have the power to heal. And if you had been here, and there's this sense of grief that she had, and there's a point where God cannot tone the grief down. He can't change the struggle and the sorrow of what we're facing, particularly because there's, a, there's another element that's far more important than what we're going through. And Jesus needs to highlight, and we need to highlight that when we come to our Christian views so the, the idea of humanity is the end of all being is the glory. The, uh, sorry, for Christianity, the glory uh, is the glory of God. Lord, despite what I'm going through, despite any of this, what's most important? And uh, Paris Reedhead said this in one of his sermons, you will have to decide early in your Christian life if you are viewing Jesus as an end or a means. Is he a glorious end or is he a means? Was humanism, has humanism found its way into Christianity? I'm going to say yes, it has. In what ways? Our basic human instinct is to secure our own happiness above any other preference. When a conflict over our faith and personal happiness happens, many Christians will choose happiness first. When the possibility of suffering enters the picture, it must be expected to end in, our, in one's own benefit somehow or it will likely be rejected. Humanism is often at the root of those who turn away from God. The reason I say that is because what real reason do we have to turn our hearts away from the Lord? What reason do we have to say, I'm done with you, Lord? It's probably because in an element there was something that you felt like God had betrayed you and had not given to you what you expected, what you felt was necessary. And we have to be careful when we approach the promises of God because if we put the humanism as the, as the essential element behind when we pray, when we believe what God has said, and we put our emotions and our feelings and our happiness first, and we devalue or forget how important the glory of God is behind this, essentially the design behind it is, Lord, are you so important here that I could do without? 
But the difference is, can you do without? Is the difference that you can do without? Truth that matters the most is that which will benefit them. So when we really make a focus, we focus on those things. Jesus talked about those who are his disciples will have to deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow him. You know, Jesus didn't have a ministry in per se and many things that he was saying that was going to be widely and easily accepted. But that that was part of this, I'm abandoning myself to God. I'm giving myself so wholly to him that what matters to me is, Lord, what is this going to take away from you? Or what is this going, how is this going to benefit the Godhead? That is most essential. And hear this in the prayer of Elijah as he prays. And he prays with fervency. He prays very strongly. And he says these words, I'm jealous for the Lord God of Israel. I'm jealous for your reputation. I'm jealous for your promotion. I want to know that you're getting the glory. And when it really comes down to it, Christianity sometimes struggles the most in this area of life because in order to regard God's reputation, sometimes ours have to come down. Sometimes the thing that we don't want people to know, that we don't want to say, the confession has to come out, the relationships have to be restored, and we have to humble ourselves so that God will get the glory. But in the exchange, you feel humbled, you feel broken, you feel ashamed. But God got the praise out of it. And I wonder if it's that important to us. That when it means that it's going to take from me to give to Him, that the focus is that God gets the glory. And I love this story. Let's go back here to the verse 1. And now a certain man was sick named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary, and her sister Martha. And it was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. I believe this was the outcome. This was the outcome of after he was raised from the dead. That you read in, in chapter 12 and the story of her taking the ointment. And ladies, you can understand probably better than any man in this place, but you understand what kind of humility that would take to take an ointment and wipe it upon Jesus' feet or anybody's feet in that matter, and then take your hair and to wipe it off. But the reason I want to think I want you to think about this is because. When Lazarus was raised, the very words that Jesus said, that this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, this woman knew that there wasn't anything that could bow her to shame because that she had realized what Jesus had done was not primarily to her own benefit. And believe me, when we really see the heart of God for us, the secondary blessings that the Lord gives to us the joy of seeing family members restored, somebody being healed, somebody being raised from the dead, absolutely that's going to restore joy in our realm. There's going to be praise just enough in that area alone. But then go to the thought of what Jesus was saying when he said the angels in heaven rejoice more over one that just comes to God than over 99 righteous people. One lost soul that doesn't know God finally makes their way to the cross gets under the blood of Jesus and all their sins and guilt are washed away in that moment and the angels of heaven rejoice because it brings glory to God. Hmm. 
When Jesus heard that, he was said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. In verse 4. You notice the focus became central. This is what it's all about. The creator of the universe is going to get something from this. It's going to shed light on who, who he is and what he deserves. It's going to create an atmosphere of praise like never before. So compare the statement Jesus made. He said, the sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God that the Son of God might be revealed. Some people will call this semantics, not realizing that this is paramount. The focus of humanism is to use God. The focus of Christianity is to glorify God. Meaning this is that we can all pray the same prayer. Lord, I believe what you said. We can strive endlessly for the Lord to, for something that's important to us. Something that means something to me. This is where for us personally, all of us are individually experiencing different things. But Lord, this is where I want you to, to minister. This is where I want to see an answer to prayer mostly. I don't know what that might be for you and what your cry is today. Lord, if you were to do one thing in my life, if I, before I died there was just one thing I were to pray, this is it. And some people are absolutely desperate. And God hears that desperation and He sees that cry and oftentimes that grief. But what moves God to answer our prayers is not the humanism behind the element, the desire for me and with the happiness that it's going to bring to me. Not as an ultimate end, but as a secondary blessing. And there are people who are praying to use God. Lord, would you do this because I need you to do this. You're the only one who can to make me happy. You're the only one who can break the sorrow in my life. You're the only one that can answer the call that I have and the need and the depression that gets in and the struggle that you face. And there's got to be a breaking point for our lives where we realize at some place we've got to get off the element of what it matters to me. And Lord, why would you do this for yourself? What does this mean for you? And at some point, our prayer and the way that we pray and why we pray has to change in this one specific area of motivation. And you hear it reiterated in the Scripture when he says, you have not because you ask not. And when you ask, you ask amiss that you may consume upon your lusts. Let not that man think that he will receive anything from the Lord. Wipe it away. That's not possible. But the focus readjusted. Let that man repray. Let that woman repray this prayer with a whole new focus, a whole new motive. Lord, the reason why I believe you want to do this, the reason why I believe this is essential is because this is a, an opportunity for the Gospel to be preached. For the Gospel for to reach somebody whose heart is cold and who will not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is an opportunity for you to get the glory out of this. And when we begin to just adjust on that single element, you will see miracles happen. You will see God do things that you never imagined. 
but you'll be removed as the element, as the primary element is why God should do it. Most of us don't know the Lord wants you to have a joy behind the scenes of it. But the greater joy is the Father's joy, the Father's heart, the Father's anticipation of what He's getting. And I wonder if this might be the, the change in the platform for the church when it comes to prayer. Lord, and I've been having, you know I have, and I know that you have, as we, we bring up these prayer requests, Lord, this is an impossibility for man. But it doesn't matter what it does to abundant life, assembly of God. It doesn't matter if it brings people here to be a part of this. That's not what matters here. And so I get desperate with God and I said, Lord, it doesn't matter if I get any benefit from it. I don't want the benefit from it. But what I do want is, is there's people in this county that are suffering, that are broken, that don't know the power of what it means to be saved. And they don't know that. And I'm broken on my knees and I'm just hungry. And I'm thirsty for God to get His way in people's lives. Because, Lord, I see. I'm jealous for Your glory. I'm jealous for Your glory. And I believe this might be the separation in ministries. Man, there's large congregations, there's large churches with people who have everything on the surface that it looks like. But I love Jesus when He steps on the scenes and He doesn't care what you look like on the outside. It matters what's on the heart. Why was the sickness not unto death? Because despite whether man will be happy or not, the glory of God was wrapped up in it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. What we need to consider, it defines our prayer. I already gave this part of it. You ask and receive not. I'm going to just re-give that scripture in James chapter 4, verse 3, if you want to turn there. You ask and receive not because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your lusts. This is something I want to share with you on commentary on that scripture. There is no good thing that God can do that can ultimately end in good when the lust and evil intentions that it carries with it ask it of Him. Our lusts beg only to abuse His favor. Lust is self-consuming and no other evil in the world can better violate that which is holy. Holiness by nature and all that is holy and good must in every way intrinsically contradict all that is meant by and intended through lust. This difference being so great and so vast that it is impossible for God to give us what by nature our lust will ruin without it being an unspeakable evil for Him to do so. It is an embellishment of goodness. It is a tyranny to divine integrity. No wickedness could do more harm to the nature of God and were greater evil among mankind than to provide for the beseeching of our lust. I think that's what James was meaning when he said this. But if we translate that into, it's no longer my lust, God, that I crave this. Unless you want to say that my lust for the glory of God is the new transfer for why I crave this. 
then this whole spectrum changes. And then we do have exactly what we ask for. And we have every reason to believe God will give it to us. When there is no longer a mixture of faith and humanism, a huge passageway of prayer is open to us. For, for many, faith in Christ is a means to happiness, and this is humanism. Let me reiterate this. For many, faith in Christ is merely a means for our own happiness. This is humanism, not Christianity. This is what scares me. This is what causes me to tremble. Because as much as I want the gospel to be poured out, I realize on human beings that sometimes all we want to do is use God. And our, mar- and our ministries and our marriages and our lives and our jobs can't carry on with this being in the background of our prayer times. Have I struggled with it? Absolutely. Have I faced those troubles? In Dearly, I admit it. But as, as the Lord has brought me to a place of repentance in it, I love how the Lord has changed my prayer life as a result of it. It defines our sorrow. In the scripture in 2 Corinthians verse 7, I mean chapter 7, verse 10, if you want to turn there, that would be great. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Defines our sorrow. Some of you may be thinking of exactly what I'm going to share here. For godly sorrow works repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world works death. A man-centered focus will always destroy the integrity of Scripture. So here we see that humanism, if, we, if we've made ourselves the center focus for why God should do something, even our sorrows mixed up with worldliness, So I think in many ways when it talks about worldliness, the element of humanism is the whole reason for it. So our sorrows don't even work repentance because, again, the end element is me. But the end element to God works repentance to salvation. If you will believe in verse 40 of of John chapter 11, Jesus said to Mary, or to Martha, I believe it was, Jesus said unto her, I said unto you, did I not say unto you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? You know, some of us get mixed up in the element of prayer because for me, Lord, I believe. I believe what you said for the purpose of my happiness. Let not that man think to receive anything from the Lord as a main source of my own happiness. So Jesus is actually separating that, and he's calling us to the Christian focus of Jesus Christ and the glory of God as the center of the focus. Lord, I believe what you said for your glory. I believe what you said is a demonstration for your honor. That's why I believe it. John 11.40, I just shared that with you. And I want to make a few comments. A faith, a faith pure from humanism is the highlight of our text. 
a faith pure from humanism is the highlight of our text. Jesus made the guarantee of his promise on the basis of unadulterated faith. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that gives to all men liberally and abrades not, and it shall be given to him. This is James chapter 1, verse 5. Let's go there real quick. James chapter 1, verse 5. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that gives to all men liberally and upbraids not, and it shall be given to him. Notice here at the end of the verse, he says, and it shall be given to him. Now, when God says it's, it shall be, then there is no other alternative to it. That's exactly how it is, and that's how it plays out. It shall be given to him. In light of what I've been just sharing with you, I think it's super important that we realize that it shall be given to him because his heart is removed from the impurity of making himself the center focus of what God wants to do and the heart is truly centered on Christ. Here's a, um, a commentary on this as well. It's with such certainty that he confirms divine integrity. He drives the pursuer of God into his unfailing promise. He's inspired on such holy ground to guarantee our Lord's promise without the least hint of discouragement. The slightest unbelief has absolutely no encouragement here. There can be no other meaning or design but to confirm the privilege of those who are under grace. This promise highlights both the liberalness and the literalness of the Lord. He can do nothing but be true to His Word. Now the reason I want to say this is because it's so important that I'm, we're tying these two parts together. That's our faith with the integrity of the end result is for the glory of God. That's exactly what we're talking about in Scripture. So that when we meet with a part of Scripture that it says it shall be given to him, it's with absolute certainty that you can guarantee that it will be given to him. There's some point in which God says, this is my provision for you. Obviously, the, the heart that searches for the glory of God searches to know the will of God. Lord, what is your will concerning this? I only want to pray what is on your mind and what is your will in this situation. And then I'm locked in because I want to just see you glorified through it. And I believe your word to be exactly what you said it would be. Those three elements, I believe, are the keys to our faith. The key to what Jesus was talking about here in John chapter 11. I think that's why Jesus said, to Martha, he said, absolutely. He said, did I not tell you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Did I not tell you that this would happen? And so Jesus wanted to show her that this is, this is something that you can invest yourself in. This is something that you can truly trust in. The reason why this is important to me is because I want to know victory in prayer for myself. And I'm praying for my fellow Christian brothers and sisters to know why is it what might be a block, what might be a stronghold to prayer. And this might be it. This might be it for some. I won't say it's for everybody, but this might be it for so many. And lastly, I want to just talk about here in John chapter 11, in verse 39. Jesus said, take away the stone. I love that part of it. I love this part of that scripture. 
Jesus said, take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of him that was dead, said unto him, Lord, by this time he stinks, for he has been dead four days. Four days in the grave. And Jesus looks at her and says, take away the stone. There's some realization we, need, we know that the stone needs to be dealt with. The stone over that grave. Jesus is undoing the problems that are a result of unbelief and cannot be helped by a man-centered gospel. Jesus is undoing the problems that are a result of unbelief and cannot be helped through a man-centered gospel. Jesus is pretty authoritative in what he says. I love how he says to them, you roll away the stone. This is something you declared was impossible for God. This is something that you felt couldn't happen. And in your life, I don't know what defines that for you. But I know that there's that in so many people. And Jesus says, roll away the stone. Declare the glory of God. Make that a singular focus of your prayer life. Roll away that stone. The stone represents probably something in our life that we didn't think could happen anymore. It's over with. The story's done. It's done and over with. And God doesn't want us to lay on that idea. Humanism is laying stones that only biblical Christianity can roll away. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother had not died. See, this is the thing that humanism doesn't have. Humanistic Christianity doesn't have an, an authority over. Mary and Martha had to come to the reality that Jesus is doing this. Not because of the sorrow that I'm feeling right not because of the grief this is going to bring me of my brother's absence. Jesus has a greater purpose for raising my brother from the dead. I want to make that a declaration to this church. I want to make that a declaration in this county. That what God's going to do through your prayers, through your focused uh, ambition and heart to bring others to Christ, to promote the gospel, what God is about to do is because you have a love for the glory of God. Because you're personally wrapped up in a jealousy for the Lord. Lord, what you're going to do in my family, what you're going to do with my children, what you're going to do with my husband, what you're going to do with my wife, what you're going to do in the workplace, what you're going to do is because of your glory. Never step out of that. I just want to say very, very humbly, never step out of, Lord, look what you've done. See, this is the other side to it. When God does something magnificent, if it's a man-centered focus, you're going to take the glory. You're going to take what you get out of it, and you're just going to, you're going to own the praise. And you don't get that. So from then on, one of the best things that God can do is just lead us on in humility of, wow, Lord, what you said came to pass. What I prayed, you did it. Lord, you answered my prayer in detail. And I just want to step back and recognize you through this. I just want to worship you in it. 
Remember the ten lepers that were healed, and it says only one came back to give him the praise. I wonder how many of us, when the Lord has answered that prayer, I, I thought about this for myself, I should have a journal of answered prayer because I need to revisit those praises for what he's done. And if we'll stay there and we'll stay on that humble ground, God's going to visit us with a new miracle. God's going to visit us with new blessings. And I want to promote what God's going to do and what God is doing right now in this church through that very focus. The Lord loves His people. The Lord loves His people. Listen to the prayer of Jesus as He prays, Father, do this. Glorify Your Son. Glorify Your name. Let that be the heart of our praying when we ask for God to do things. Don't just pray it with our lips, but Lord, seal it in our hearts that we can truly pray the victory in people's lives. Just see what God does through it. Praise the Lord. I want to end with that. Father, I just want to thank You right now. Lord, what a privilege right now to see what You're doing, God, in lives. We're hungry for You, Lord. And as much as You love us, God, and You do things secondarily to benefit, but Lord, primarily, it's the love of the Father. And Lord, what we want to see right now is, God, that the heart of Your people is invested. The whole of their heart is invested in loving You supremely. God, that no other relationship on earth compares to the love that they have for You. And that because they love You, that every time they see a need, and they see a place, and they see a person whom You died for, and who You suffered for, all they can think about is how they want to see You worshipped through it, Lord. They want to see Your praise declared through it. And that, Lord, no matter what hardship we endure, no matter what struggle we face, that we do it with joy because we love You. And we know, God, that even in our sufferings, that You satisfy something that's of Your heart. And God, that adds a new element of joy to our life. And so, Jesus, I thank You for that in, in us right now. And as You're teaching us to yield to You with all of our heart. And God, sometimes the tearing away of the idolatry within us. Lord, the tearing away of the motive that drives us for personal happiness to get us to the place that, Lord, the thing that matters the most is Your happiness. Jesus, let this be the jealousy of Your church today. And we give You praise. and love You, Lord, for this favor. What a blessing. Mighty God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.